Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. And this is our review of It, starring Jaden Lieberherr. Finn Wolford, Sophia Lillis, Jeremy Ray Taylor, Wyatt Olaf, Jack Dylan Grazer, Chosen Jacobs, Nicholas Hamilton, and Bill Skarsgård. Directed by Andy Muschietti, released in September 2017 on a $35 million budget, grossed $698 million worldwide. Was a massive, massive hit, as we know, Nick, from the... uh, you know, the box office returns and all the reviews and stuff. It was long anticipated, too. I mean, back in 2013, was it, when we were doing some of our selected works of Stephen King, we did the It miniseries, and they were talking about the remake or reboot then. It was even talked about even before 2013, um, you know, as far as one of the potential Stephen King adaptations they wanted to go back and revisit. Uh, you know, even like, you know, we always get a – I think for a while we're kind of getting like a bi-yearly like Stephen King adaptation. But uh, what had happened was after the uh, first season of True Detective, uh, the director of the first season, who directed every episode, uh, Carrie, uh, is it like Fukunaga or something like that? <laughs> I probably said that wrong. Uh, yeah, I you butchered his name about like I did that kids at the beginning of this. But yeah, it's it's a hard last name to say uh, with my uh, Midwestern tongue. But uh, it's um, he was attached for quite a bit, and um, he had wrote a screenplay. And, uh, apparently what happened there was, uh, of course the, uh, whole creative differences thing. I think there might've been some budget issues and something like that, but he ended up walking. But then what happened was they had brought on this director and then he had taken, uh, Carrie's script and basically just kind of, uh, re rejiggered it, re whatever you want to call it. And, uh, a lot of it's still there. I actually was able to read the original script about uh, about a year ago. It got leaked online, and I read it, and uh, it's got a lot of the same beats. Uh, a lot of it's some of it's a little bit more violent, but then a lot of it's a lot a little bit more dramatic and a little bit you know a little bit more dry. But uh, it's you can still see the uh, the soul of that movie within the new one that just came out. Well, that's interesting because I, I didn't you know look at any of the old scripts or anything like that, but that's neat that you looked into that. I think you can't deny the fact that one of the reasons this turned out the way it did was the phenomenon that was Stranger Things in 2016, and to some extent, the phenomenon that was The Force Awakens in 2015. Like that 1980s nostalgia trip that we're still on in popular culture. And I guess it's time. I mean, it's in the cycle, right? But that, oh, yeah. that had, has such a huge influence. And it's not just because Finn Wolford, who's, who's in this movie is also in stranger things as you know, the shared cast member, but it's the whole tone of, of everything in this is so much more bent toward that kind of, uh, aesthetic, if you will, at least it was to me. Well, I think, you know, we go through a cycle every 10 years where we look fondly back at the next decade. So, I mean, well, we had the 70s for a while before and then the 60s and everything like that as far as like these 
somewhat period pieces but more of just a setting for you know popular you know genre films out there so 80s is pretty prime right now and uh i don't know i think it's also kind of catching on too because you look at like you know especially like with kids you know like stranger things is really big with my son he's been sick actually for the last week and he's probably watched both seasons like three times in a row over the last (laughs) week he's obsessed with it but um it's kind of, it's that nerd culture in the eighties that they really kind of play up and especially like the video game culture, like in stranger things, which of course kids today are all into kind of the same thing. It's kind of like, uh, you know, bell bottoms coming back or whatever you want to say. Well, yeah, I mean, again, and there's nothing wrong with nostalgia and looking back. I'm not dinging it for that. I just think that all the different iterations and you can go online and read about all the, like the post-production and how long it took him forever to get this. Machete got involved in 2015, and obviously that was something he was going to draw from, and it was something that he cared a lot about. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had, you know, he had worked, I mean, the thing he's most known for is probably the, I guess you'd call it a horror film called Mama from 2013. Have you ever seen that thing? Nope. It's kind of in the vein of, like, The Conjuring and some of that haunted house stuff, but not with, like, you know, investigators and things, but like Baba Duke and all that. My my wife loves it. She she watched it, bought it, was obsessed with it, and I I kind of felt like that was a throwback in and of itself. And then he got involved with this, and now he's doing this. He's going to do the second part of it, which they've already announced for 2019. And then he's going to do something that I'm really interesting. It's not official yet, but he's um, tied into uh, a reboot of Robotech, which I mean, I guess they're going to get around to every redoing everything now. So might as well get into that. He's also He's also talking about doing Pet Cemetery as well. That I could see as ripe for a redo. I mean, I, I think some of this Stephen King stuff, I'm not so precious with it that I don't think it can't be redone. Um, and I don't want to you know, say that. I just, I, I, what I'm going to call out immediately is that there's obviously a lot of influence here. And I'm going to posit an idea to you that I think this movie could have just worked by itself if it didn't have to carry the weight and the baggage of the Stephen King story. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that maybe later on, but my first time watching this, and I didn't see it in theaters. It, it was a busy time of the year when this came out. Um, I just had too much going on, and I said, you, and I talked to a friend who saw it, and I said, don't spoil it for me, but tell me, is this something I need to see in a theater? And he said, no, not really. If you got a decent TV at home, not that big a deal. And I said, fine. So I bought it when it came out on. It, I mean, it just came out around the holidays on um, you know digital download, and so I, I bought it and watched it over the holidays. And I had a pretty negative reaction to it the first time. I, I think I messaged you about it. That's when we decided, yeah, we need to do this one. Now I went back and watched it again and had a little different reaction to it. But there's, um, I kind of, I kind of feel the same way. I wonder if this, if this wouldn't have just been fine without the weight of the Stephen King story that it's trying to carry. So I don't think it, I don't think it would have done as well because there's one thing that we're missing on this was, of course, this is kind of the second adaptation for this because they had the miniseries back in the early nineties. And, you know, as much as that movie's aged pretty badly over the last, <laughs> you know, 20 years or whatever. 27 you years. It's yeah, 27 <laughs> years. Yeah. It's, um, it was, it was a cultural phenomenon back then, basically because of the performance of Tim Curry. I mean, you go anywhere and you, you, you know, you show that picture of that clown to anybody and they go, Oh, that's Pennywise the clown. I mean, I think out of all of Stephen King's work, work, he's the most, you know, he's the poster child of it all. Well, yeah, so I had, mean, it, it, it is that performance. It's also the performance of some of those other actors and particularly this kid actors. And if you go back and listen to our episodes on that, you and I talked about it. We, we talked about how the kids in that one 
were so good. And they did such a good job of like analoging them to their adult side. Like the only one that's the big transformation is the kid that's been Hanscom and then he becomes John Ritter, which neither one of them look at all like that character's supposed to. Um, but, but, you know, you go with it because Ritter's good and that kid was good. And every they, they all had their moments and there's some, there's a real sweetness to that that because it's on television it is tame per se, but it still more or less works as as a story. This one they make the bold choice, and we'll get into it in a minute after the plot summary, that it's gonna be all about the kids. We're never gonna see the adults here. And I think they had made that choice early on in the process. They they knew they wanted to break this into two again. And they really just wanted to tell the kids story. And I, I gotta think that again, that Stranger Things phenomenon and some of that sold them on the idea that, yeah, you can just do a kid's story or, or just have the kid's story carry this whole movie. I think it has more to do with, um, I don't know if you've read the book, but um, it's a long book. I mean, oh, it's over. Many, it, I've, I've read the book many times, yes. It's it's well over a thousand pages. Oh, and yeah. the book is the book is split up kind of like the original miniseries where you're flipping back and forth and you you're getting both climaxes during the climax as far as you know the kids fighting the clown and the adults fighting the clown and you're going back and forth between it so you're kind of getting almost like a godfather 2 type telling of it but uh i think what the problem is is you're not able to put a thousand page book into it basically an hour and 50 minute two hour movie and really i mean if i think when they first started developing in this and this is before stranger things you know came out i think that they weren't sure they were going to have a hit here. So we'll make half a movie, but there's really no way to do the adult and kid story and split it in half. There's really no good, like, it's not like Lord of the Rings where you guys, you know, there's like, there's areas where you kind of have a climax and you can kind of break it up. There's really nothing like that in the book. So I think they, they made, I think the best decision possible for it and just going, okay, we have a kid side and we have an adult side. There we go. We have two different stories. We can tell the kids thing. If it doesn't work out, we still told a kind of a complete story here. Well, and that's the, I, I, I'll agree with what you're saying that the way, if you're trying to follow the book, it may seem hard, you know, how in the world are we going to get all that in to one thing? But if you want to, you can fan edit the book and just read the kids parts and then go read the adult parts. You know, like you could do that with it. I mean, it would make for a really weird and long read, but it, you can do that with it if you if you wanted to. I think it's smart to try and pare this down a little bit. And I mean, and I, I look, I love that book. I think it's probably Stephen King's most interesting work. And I mean, that's saying something because he's done a he's done so much stuff. It's the one that I will go back to more often than not to revisit as a book or an audio book. But I won't sit here and tell you that I don't think it's a little bloated. I mean, he he gives seven examples sometimes when three would have done. And the miniseries kind of got that right, is that we didn't get to see every kid's encounter with it. We just got to see, like, the important ones. And then we got, like, moments of the other ones. And so there's a way to cut this down. And he, he himself, you know, King said he was really happy with what they did with it. You know, and, and I guess that that's fine and good. Honestly, I don't care if he likes it or not because I'm not going to it just because it's him. I'm interested to see how you make this story work in, with a little bit more of a modern sensibility. Because the thing they do also is that that book is set between the 1950s and the, you know, 1980s and 1990, you know, right, right around there, the turn of the, the decade. And this is going to be set in the mid to late 80s and is going to come out, you know, now it's going to be 2018, 2019. So they're going to go that far ahead. So they, they've made a distinct choice in updating this so mm. it's it's really for people like you know my age and your age nick that were 
you know, or maybe a little bit older than us, but like more my brother's age, who were just beginning to be teenagers in the late 80s and then would become, uh, you know, adults, you know, 27 years later. What would that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah, so let's go ahead and get into it, man, and do a quick plot summary. I mean, I gosh, I can't imagine anybody listening to this either hasn't seen it or doesn't know the basic story of it. But we'll tell you real fast what you know happens in this one, and then we can get into the details later. There's seven outcasts bond together over being outcasts and shared horrific experiences in their hometown of Derry, Maine. They're pitted against their worst nightmares conjured by an ancient shape-shifting evil that emerges to prey upon the town, especially children, every 27 years. And the group bands together to take this one being who most to take on this being who most manifests itself as a clown known as Pennywise. They confront and seemingly beat back Pennywise several times before finally facing off in his own lair below the town in the sewers. And when they emerge from the battle, they make a blood oath to return again should it ever reappear. That's the quick through line. There's obviously a lot more that goes on, but I'm kind of the first thing that, that hit me about this was how truncated they make the story. I mean, this is a two hour and 15 minute movie and it doesn't drag. It's pretty uh, fleet in the, the way that it moves, but they, they really changed the focus of some of the kids here. And I wanted to just kind of get your impression on Bill, Richie, Bev, Ben, Eddie, Stan, and Mike this time and the updates they made to them. Um, I like the kids a lot. I mean, I think this is a lot like uh, kind of how I felt about stranger things is, I think the strongest point of this movie is the relationship that all the kids have with each other. I mean, they're back and forth and, you know, (laughs) quick pro quos with each other and everything like that, or, you know, very correct, I think, for that age group, just the way they talk to each other. And I just kind of like the little misadventures that they go on through throughout the movie. So, I mean, as far as they all go, I think every single actor in here, as far as, you know, the children go, are extremely strong. I... I I have a a different take on it. I think Bill's good. That's Jaden, and I can't say his last name, so I won't butcher it again. I think he's pretty good. I think the the young lady who plays Bev is really good. And the thing they've done here is that the kids in the book are like 9 and 10 and the original story. These kids are like 12 and 13, so they've aged them up a little bit so that they can do some more shall I say, adult things with them. I mean, they can play some more stuff with them. The other thing, too, is that, I mean, and in Stephen King's books, everybody always curses like sailors because he says that's just how people talk. I think there's a joke in the movie Misery about that, too, that's supposed to be kind of his brush off to anybody that says anything like that. I, my brother was this age this time. I'm telling you, I, I was around him all the time. Nobody talks like this. Okay, these kids are foul <laughs> sometimes. That nobody talked like this. But making them a little older makes that different. The thing that I, I think happens, I mean, they changed the Eddie character almost completely, right? Because he was from a well-to-do kind of you know single-parent family, but his mother was like a real health freak, and he was a hypochondriac because of it. But now he's like white trash. You know, and I, I didn't, I didn't care for the way that that played off because he comes off like a this this kid Jack Dylan Grazer by the way is a spit like image of Fred Savage from the Wonder Years. I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but God, he looked like him. Did you get that too? Uh, no, I never really got that, but I can kind of see where you're getting that from. Yeah, I mean, look, look at him again. He is, he is that the one that I think gets the shortest shrift of them all is Mike. I mean. He had such an integral role in that uh, in the original story. I mean, he was really kind of the one that was telling us the story. 
you come to find out it's mostly from his recollections and his writings and his point of view. Here he's a, an African-American homeschool student. He has no, like, real connection to anybody here. I mean, he is as outside as you can get. I wanted to ask you, I don't remember homeschooling being a thing in the 80s. Was it? And maybe I just didn't know about it? Because I had never heard of that until, like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago? I think it... I mean, I don't really think he was being homeschooled the way that, you know, some helicopter parents homeschool nowadays. I think really what they're trying to show is like he wasn't welcome in that town. I mean, there was a thick sense of racism, you know, that was going against him and his family in oh, that town. Time. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it was kind of like, you know, you're you're going to be a, you're going to be a farmhand just like your dad and just like your grandfather and just like your great grandfather. And you're going to this is what you're going to be. You're not going to go to school and, you know, you'll learn everything you need to learn here. So I think really that's what it was. He was getting more of a farm education than as opposed to like a, you know, mom sitting down with them going over algebra books or something like that. And, and that's fine. That seems out of place, though, for the time. Because, again, I, I'm just thinking about the 1980s and the way we looked at education and things like that. The truancy officers would have been all over these people, outcasts or no. Like, they, I don't think they would have allowed that kind of thing to just, you know, exist in their town, racism or not. I I had a real problem with that. But moreover, they, well, don't, you give saw that, the they don't give that kid anything to do in this movie, though, Nick. Like he is barely in it, and I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, be so PC about it that oh, they cut the black kid out. That's not it. It's the character was an interesting guy, and now he's so periphery to everything that they're doing that it's almost like he doesn't even need to be in the movie. I think what they were having trouble with here is even though they there's some heavy themes that can that they really could have brought in here. I think that they were kind of picking and choosing which ones they wanted to go with because, uh-huh. you know, we'll, we'll get into Bev because there's an entire like pedophilia plot with her. Yeah. And, and that, I think that was that in, the, I don't, it's been a couple of years. So it's a, it's, it's, her it's dad was just like an abusive jerk. I don't remember the sexual abuse part of it. It's kind of, I want to say it's slightly hinted at in the book. I, I haven't read it in a while, so I could okay. be mistaken, but he was abusive, but I think that's kind of, if you got the racist and then you got the pedophilia thing all going on in the movie, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's a little it might, much. It might, like you got it might that, be a little too much. Yeah. You've got the white trash thing. I mean, they play down the, the, I mean, well, they changed a little something about Stan yours. He's now the son of a rabbi, you know? So they, they play with that a little bit more, which is different. Which he was Jewish in the first movie, but like his friends sort of, play, especially Richie just plays off like he's a Jew, you know, and it was no big deal, but that was the fifties. You know, so it was a different time. In the 80s, I don't, I don't know how they would do it. I, I mean, this movie is really interested in three people, though. All right? And, and I, I want to say that. I think it's interested in Bev, it's interested in Bill, and it's interested in Richie. And a little bit of Eddie. But, like, Stan and Ben, and which is sad for Ben, because Ben Hanscom's a neat character, and, and Mike, they're just kind of on the periphery the whole time. Like that's the one thing that, that the book does a great job of, of course, because it's a book and it can be really long is everybody gets their moment and stuff. But that original miniseries even did a good job of balancing enough moments with the kids that you really got it. And um, as good as this bill is though, the, the stutterer of this, you know, I mean, he has some of the same arc, his brother, instead of getting killed, he goes missing, but he seems to have sort of figured out that he's probably in the sewer somehow because he read something from his dad's office. That, like, they, they do so much, like, 
quick hand stuff, and then they spend a lot of time with these kids ripping on each other. And I'm like, well, you could have spent more time trying to develop how they, how he's figuring any of this stuff out. I, I felt like this movie really wanted to be about Bill and Bev and Richie, and then all these other kids were just kind of there in the way. Well, I think when, when you're doing something like this, you got to have your characters a focus. Um, you know, it's <laughs> a lot of kids here. And to really give each one of them their moment to shine, you know, there's I, there's not enough time in a two-hour movie. Okay, like wait you a said, minute, wait there, a there's plenty of time though in a book. You say that, you say that though, but that miniseries, which is about ninety minutes for that first episode, it does it. Every kid gets their moment. You know their story. You know their plight. I mean, you know, I think you even know more about Henry Bowers. I mean, the way they play him this time is we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, but ooh, budding psychopath. Uh, but <laughs> the uh, um, with a bad mullet. But but the they you, say, you, say there, you say there's too many kids to like get you know their moment, but they did it in a TV movie in 1990. I this is a 35 million dollar big budget movie, and they got two hours and 15 minutes, and they can't get everybody a moment. Um, well, everybody, I mean, every, all of them do get their moment with the clown, but I think really what they wanted to do was kind of, like you said, shift focus more to a couple more central characters as opposed to giving them all 20% of the movie. It's going to be kind of, you know, 35, 30, 20, and then the rest being kind of what, what's left over with it. Cause I think that, you know, that's kind of what they're trying to do here is be it more focused on bill and Bev as kind of being the mm -hmm. two main characters here. Yeah, it definitely is more on them than anybody else. I mean, they get the most screen time, I would think, and the most a bit. Now, you know, Richie gets all the the one-liners and stuff because Finn Wolford's, you know, funny. I mean, he was the funny one on Stranger Things, so you let that kid be the foul-mouthed funny one in this one. So I get why you let him do that stuff, so that works. But... It's really about Bill and Bev a lot. And, I mean, they take the whole, like, historian who figures out all of what's going on in Derry. That was Mike in the book. That was Mike in the miniseries. Now that's Ben for some reason. You know, and they completely change his whole backstory. I mean, he had such a great backstory. His father had been killed in the war. His mother had to move back in with her sister and her family to try to get back on their feet, you know, like they were struggling. And maybe that was just because that was a 50s thing and you couldn't do that in the 80s. But why couldn't his dad get killed in Vietnam, you know, or Grenada or something like that? I mean, I mean people don't think that's a big deal, but it does. I mean, I, I kind of felt like they they what they changed about him and what they changed about Mike really shorted the characters from, from me caring about them. And I, I think you're on to something that they didn't really want me to care about them. They want me to care about Bill and really Bev. And then they want me to laugh at Richie. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, but I, I like Ben. I actually, you know, like in this one, I actually, I felt sorry for him. You know what I mean? I actually felt sympathy for the character here in the miniseries. I never really felt much for him. He, you know, yeah, I feel bad because the guy's dad died and he's got kind of a shit of a cousin and stuff like that. But, you know, for the most part, it's like, he's really not that fat. You know what I mean? He's probably going to be a pretty good football player. I mean, that was what's going through my mind. The kid in the miniseries, but, uh, you mean? Yeah. 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 The kid yeah. in the miniseries, but this Ben, like. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he a, is, he's a chubby he, little kid. So, yeah, I mean, they, they that's, that's to put well. it lightly. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's I a mean, great. I I think he does well because like, especially like his first interaction with Bev, it's like, man, I, I really really feel sorry for the kid. It's like I want to go up there and like, hey man, you know, let's. It wasn't weird that a thirty four year old, but it's like, dude, you're you know, let's go. I'll be your friend. I don't know. It's I like mean, it's kind of how you felt, but I, but I like kind of the other yeah. little character beats that they gave him where it's. 
you know, he's into new kids on the block and yeah, stuff like that. I thought that was kind of a kind of a cute little way to kind of, you know, separate the kids and give them something kind of unique about them besides him just being fat. Right. I mean, they, they played him off as the kid that, like, would get picked on for his eccentric tastes and stuff like that. And he would just have to kind of absorb the the bullying from it more than just being – I mean, he's the new kid too, but he's also – I mean, he is kind of different. I mean, that's not what you, I mean, you would expect a boy that age at that time, he'd be listening to, you know, Judas Priest or Def Leppard or something. You know, like he, he would listen to New Kids on the Block. The thing that I will say that I like about the Bev character, and it's really, uh, Sophia Lillis play, plays this so well, is I had friends that were girls this age when I was growing up. And there was a time, there's like a time in life when the girls are all taller than the boys. And they're also more advanced and they're they're more grown up and stuff like that. And I like the fact that she's pretty much taller than every boy here except Bill. And I remember like when I got my growth spurt because I'm kind of tall and I got tall and I caught up with all the girls finally and thinking that was a big deal because all the girls I thought were so pretty were the tall girls. You know, but the other thing they play her off as is, I mean, in the, in the book and in the, the other miniseries, she was poor. Her dad was the janitor, and that's why everybody looked down on her. They made fun of her. Here, I mean, you kind of get the sense that, you know, they're not exactly well off either, but, like, she has this terrible reputation at school for being, a, a you know, promiscuous, and it's all just made up by the mean girls that she goes to school with. And it's perfect, I mean, but that's... I'm sure you remember that in high school as well. I mean, I, I remember that where it was, I, I even had this conversation actually a couple of days ago, we were talking about bullying uh, with my family and I'm like, the girls are so much worse than the guys. I'm like the guys, oh, I agree. most of the time, yeah, they get into a fight, they push each other, maybe a couple punches are thrown, it's broken up and they're cool the next day. Girls like in high school and middle school, it's like. Oh man, they try to destroy each other sometimes, oh. and you can see that here with the uh, mm-hmm. pouring the garbage on her and calling her Beaverly and stuff. And I, I think that's very appropriate for you know, especially in the '90s when I was like going through that, where it was like, yeah, I saw girls go to other girls' house and write slut on the driveway with spray paint and everything. So, <laughs> no, oh, yeah, you know what? Nasty. Though I, I mean, I, the worst fights were always the girl fights at this age. 13, oh. 12, whatever. I mean, it was, it was hair in the nails. And not only, oh, yeah. not only the physical fights, but just the petty, passive aggressive stuff they would do to each other. They do capture that really well that these girls are awful to this girl. But the way she plays it off, and again, I'm projecting a little bit here, but I had a friend who, uh, uh, no fault of her own, and I knew her well enough to know it wasn't true. People just started talking about her like this. And she was like, I don't give an F what anybody says about me. And so she just let it roll off her back like water off a duck. And you know what? She was better for it because she was way more mature than anybody else that I went to high school with. And when she you know, grew up and got out of Dodge, she was like, I'm gone and I'm staying gone. You know, and she is really successful and has a great family now and more power to her and stuff like that. And I doubt she's listening to this show, so I don't know why I'm being so, you know, masked about it. But really, like, I, I was watching this. I'm like, I've seen this, you know, so I, I can relate to this character. And it makes me like Beverly more. But I want to say I, I feel like the sexual abuse from the father was just like a bridge too far. And I know I know I shouldn't care because it's supposed to really endear me to the character more. But I was like, I don't know that we needed that. Is what I'm saying. Like, I think we could have gotten everything we wanted to know about her and been on her side without having to see her clock her dad with a friggin', you know, top of a toilet bowl, basically, when he's chasing after her like some horny asshole. 
See, what I think they were doing here is, I mean, showing her in school and everything like that, and especially how she deals with the boys, is they're showing her to kind of be the brawn of the group. You know what I mean? Where she's she's a tough one. Well, wasn't you know what she I mean? in, the, co- in the book, too? Like, she was the best shot. She was the tough one. Like, that. that's always played out, and they don't really play that out here. Um, though, because she, I mean, she is the brawn of the group, but let's just say it now, in the end, she gets suspended in animation and two guys have to kiss her to wake her up. I mean, I was like, that's so like undercut your whole character arc here. See, I don't mind it though that, you know, like I I take it as all the stuff that happened in the town is because of Pennywise influence, like her dad and the way the dad, you know, kind of is treating her. It's, it's the town is poisoned. You know what I mean? It's why people are looking away when Ben's getting his stomach cut. It's like they're just, they don't, that's why when they're putting up missing kids posters, they're just putting them over the last one. It's like they're almost kind of forgetting. But what I think is, is I I heard, I heard a critique too. It's like, oh, she's a damsel in distress in the end. And I'm like, well, that's not really how I took it. I took it as Pennywise, as this whole thing went on, he knew that he couldn't beat them as a group. And he realized that Bev was essentially the the main, the main person in this group, you know, she was the one that was holding them together. She was the strongest one in the group. So it's like, who do you take out? You take out the strongest one and you hope the rest crumble behind there. So that's what I took it as like, especially when he came and he got her right after she clocked her dad with the toilet seat was, it wasn't like, Oh, damsel in distress. Come get, come get Mary Jane, Spider-Man. It's more or less, I got your backbone here and now you guys are finished. That's a very interesting way to explain it. I had not thought about it like that because I felt like they they set her up to be so strong and so great, and then they just completely you know cut that down with the way that they you know set her to the side and and suspend her from nothing, you know. But you're but I, you're not wrong. That's a good way to look at it. And, and I'll be honest with you, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, I hate the way they do that. Watching it a second time, I you know let it go and kind of forgave it a little bit more or less. And I think it's because I was I, I didn't put a fine point on it, but the way you've explained it makes total sense. Like that, yes, that's that's was Pennywise's plan all along was to take the heart of the group away. Oh, totally. And it didn't work. I mean, they, he, I, I think his whole plan was he didn't think he thought they're all going to break up. There's no way they're going to come down here and get her. And even his plan though was backfiring. And right when he got her, because he was trying to basically scare her. And when he, she's doing it, she's just like, I'm not scared of you. Mm-hmm. And it was it just was, like, but, but I, and I want to tell you, one of the things that they get right in this movie is the effects and all the shape shifting and the stuff that like when Pennywise opens up that huge jaw and all those rows of teeth and the deadlights and all that stuff. I liked that. I thought that was awesome. Like that looked, it, you can tell that's where the money went in this movie was on that. And it was well spent. Oh yeah. That. And I think the town itself, I mean, it looks like it felt like the eighties. I mean, as far as everything goes, I mean, just the, uh, the sets and everything there. And, you know, I just, it felt good. I mean, as far as, you know, this, you know, the eighties appeal came to it for, but, uh, the, the one thing I did like too, and this is such a thing I hate with Stephen King books, besides the Mm -hmm. fact that he can never stick an ending is Henry Bowers here. He's not a freaking greaser. I, it's, no. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, there's got to be a story about Stephen King when he was a kid that he must have got picked on by greasers because yeah, they're in they're, so many of his books. Yes. <laughs> it's almost, they, you know, sometimes they come back, you know, it, I mean, there, there's so many of them where it's like this, 
mean greaser guy with the you know the little curl hair in the front and stuff and i thought it was you know they could have done that again with him or did something like you know make him like a you know biker kid or or a uh, you know, like an auto auto guy, you know what I mean? Where right, he's like, working like on a car nut or, or something like that. Yeah, Actually, I think they could have done what, that. What is the neat twist about Henry this time is he's the cop's son, and we know that his dad is kind of hard on his boy, but he's mostly hard on him because his boy walks around like he's hot stuff, and he's like, you're such a little wimp, you know, and he's, he's fake. I mean, he's a mullet, you know, fake guy. Uh, until Pennywise gets his, you know, claws into him. And I mean, what, what we see Henry do in this movie, I mean, he does some pretty nasty stuff to the kid, sure. And I mean, we see him actually cut Ben up a little bit, and that's, you know, disturbing. But he ultimately takes his, his uh, like, flick knife or whatever and cuts his dad's throat with it. And in a cut scene, he kills his other two friends before he goes to chase the kids in the the sewers and stuff. I mean, he like becomes Michael Myers all of a sudden. Yeah. And I, like I said, I'm glad that they changed it, changed it from a greaser and the book stuff too, with Henry Bowers There's some, sh- he, Stephen King was on some strong LSD when he wrote that book because there's <laughs> shit in that book. I don't even, you could never even do that today. I mean, just put it out there. I mean, Henry Bowers in there would, he would actually make like his friends, like actually perform fellatio on him in the book. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was, it's grotesque. It's just again. It it's, it's, it's it's some of that stuff where Stephen King could do something, but then he goes like three steps too far. That's kind of part of his problem. Is he just tends yeah, to do that a lot? It's like if you want to make him gay and he's you know in the closet and that's why he's mad or angry, go for it. But no, it's like oh, no, we're I, gonna make it. We're gonna make it that he's raping the guy because he's just a mentally crazy guy. So he's gonna hold a knife to his friend's you know throat oh, and basically do this or kill I don't think it's a, a sexuality thing at all with him. And no, it's not. That's that, that's book. what it's I'm saying. Power. It's a power thing. But the thing the thing that I I will give this movie credit for is that they do cut the bully down to size and they have someone that's an authority figure do it. All right. I mean, they have his dad deball him in front of his friends. You know, he's out there shooting his dad's gun, acting like a badass. And his dad walks out there going, What are you doing? And he grabs that pistol and shoots at his feet like four times. And he just starts crying and crumbling. And he tells those other guys, That's your real leader right there, boys. You know, and this is not long before he kills him. But I was like, You know, the dad's not wrong to cut that boy down to size a little bit because somebody needs to. It does. They need to, but the whole thing though, it's. Oh, I mean, uh, they have the rock fight in the ditch again, which I, I don't know. I didn't think it was as good this time, but I mean, they get the crap beat out of them again by the by the guys and the girls. <laughs> I mean, they they do. I mean, it was a violent rock fight. There was it was more like a stoning from the Old Testament. Yeah, <laughs> this time there were some large rocks being hurled at one another there. Yeah, um, the. Uh, the fat guy got it pretty good in the face. Uh, the <laughs> spot, Henry Bauer's fat friend got yeah, it right in the, the face. Yeah, the, the one with the uh, the Trans Am or the Skank Camaro, whichever one it was yeah. that he was driving. Yeah, yeah, he's got so. the uh, the Peyton Manning nose. <laughs> there, there we go. <laughs> That's what it was from. I was wondering what that was, but yeah, <laughs> that the those things I I kind of like. But again, that gang is they're really sort of periphery to all this because it's almost like you didn't need them because we spend so much time terrorizing these kids with Pennywise that I don't know that we needed the bully gang other than we just want to do that beat again because it's it's part of what you do in this movie. And let, let's get to him. We haven't even talked about him. Pennywise this time. Bill Skarsgård. What a weird dude. I mean, what a weird makeup and everything they've done with him here, man. Like, I, I got to say, I was like, this is like some demented Bugs Bunny thing he's got going on. What What was all that? 
Well, if in the book, I mean, Pennywise, I mean, everybody always looks at the miniseries with Tim Curry. Pennywise in the book was never that looking of a clown. They always made mention that he was kind of a clown from, you know, decades and decades and decades ago, you know, as far as his like motif goes. And that's what the kind of clown that we have here where this is a clown from the early 1900s. It's not from Bozo the Clown on, you know, CBS or whatever channel he was on that Tim, that they took it for Tim Curry. And that's the whole thing is I think they're trying to show that he was kind of more ancient here as you know what I mean? As far as his dress and his style goes, it was definitely older. Like I, I got the, the idea that he was from a different time, like you say, and, and they do a better job of playing that. I'm talking about specifically Skarsgård's performance though, like his voice and all the stuff he does with it. I mean, he, he does some of the same lines. I mean, I mean some of the same exact dialogue again, and I'm fine with that because he delivers it, you know, well enough. It's just, uh, there, there's something just, I don't know, strange about his. Well, it's he's got a a child, you know, it's like a, almost like a child. That was kind of a, kind of a cool direction that they went here with is as opposed to making it a 48 year old man in clown makeup. It's, why not have the clown be kind of closer looking to the actual kids? You know what I mean? Where it's as opposed to yeah, he's, yeah, he's a lot younger. You're, I mean, Scar- yeah, he is. A lot that's what I was than than Tim Curry was. So oh, totally. And I think that's kind of what they're going for here. Is like he's ancient. He's immortal. He's forever. So why would he be looking like a fifty-five year old man? I think it's like a little bit more smarter for them. It's like, hey, I'm going to trap kids. Why not look more like a kid? What do you think about like the manifestations that he does for the kids' fears and things like that? I mean, I thought, I I thought it was really neat some of the tricks he plays on him. I mean, the homeless guy that's you know basically a leper coming after yep. Eddie, and that's a good one. And then, um, I, you know, the big the big scary thing that eats George's arm at the beginning is really freaky and. Just some of the other manifestations. Well, the way he uses the balloons and all that stuff. I really thought some of, again, the the money that was spent in this movie on the effects was worth it because it was pretty darn impressive what he came up with. Oh, I love how they did the balloons in here as opposed to just, you know, really using real balloons is like they had these balloons that basically defied gravity or defied wind patterns. And that was actually one of the, one of the things I remember most about the book was uh, when Ben Haskum ran into Pennywise, he ran into him during a storm. And he always, like, the, one of the things that always, like I said, I remember was the balloon itself wasn't being blown with the wind. It was actually going against the wind. It had its, you know, its own force here. And that's what they're doing with these balloons here is, like, the balloons are, you know, being controlled by them. You know, they're not real balloons here. It's all just an element of him. And mm-hmm. I liked all that stuff like that. I liked that, you know in the, uh, I thought one of the really great scenes was when Ben's in the library. I mean, just the mood and that librarian in there. And then he's going through the book and also he's paging forward and there's a head in the branch and everything. Um, I thought that was all like really, really well done. I kind of wish there was a little bit more of that in this film yeah. as yeah, opposed they, to the jump scares kind yeah. of just being more eerie and quiet. And as opposed to looking in the, you know, in the foreground, you're looking mm-hmm. in the background trying to figure out what's going on. Because if you go back and watch that library scene, there's some kind of weird stuff going on in the background. Yeah, like we never we never explored before the explosion at the old uh, plant. 
you know, that they talk about in the book and that kind of gets, you know, thrown out there in the movie and stuff too, that they never really, you know, go into a lot of detail about it. But we see that one of the, you know, the carnage of that is that somebody's head got separated from their body. Well, then that thing manifests and the headless thing starts coming after him in the, the library basement, which I, I, again, I thought was really well done and was incredibly freaky and just unnerving as hell. And I know one of the criticisms too I heard on the movie is like Pennywise is always just running, then he misses the guys. And I'm like, but that's I think he's wanting to do that. He's not really yeah. at this point wanting to get these kids. I mean, it's like bleeding a cow for meat or something like that, where he's he said too, he goes, the fear, he he the yeah. fear just makes him taste better. He's trying to get these kids to be scared to death. As well, opposed to just picking them off. Well, what he what he does and what we see at the end with like all that all those kids like hanging in suspended animation and it's more on that theme of like it's a big spider, you know, is that he the reason he only comes out every twenty seven years is because he stores up his meat, you know, like he he does a little bit at a time and then he kind of keeps it and he just sort of eats on them slowly but surely and that way it sort of sustains him long term and he wants to get them to the moment when they're the most freaked out. And then he, you know, deadlights them, which I guess essentially just sort of suspends them. And then he can put them away and, and go to them when he wants to. And I'm, I'm with you. That's his whole M.O. here. And that's always been Pennywise's M.O. And I, well, I think I think they do a, a decent enough job with him explaining it to the kids. Like, oh, you can go away now because all we need is just good fear. Just good fear from this boy. And that's all I need. And it's, it's again, it's really unnerving. Mostly because Skarsgård is such a freaky actor in this and gives such a weird performance. I mean, Tim Curry gave like that off-putting, I do not want to meet that guy in a dark alley because he's a really kind of pervy and weird performance versus this for like, I have no idea what's about to come out of this guy's mouth next. And oh my gosh, look at that mouth. Yeah. And that's the whole thing too, is he had those big prosthetic teeth. And that's always one of the interesting things that they did in here was he was drooling a lot when he talked and they left it in there. You know, they could have like easily gave him cotton swabs in between takes or whatever, but they let him just like you can see that, especially when he's talking to Georgie in the beginning, like just the drool and everything. And I, I like that too, where, you know, that beginning scene with Georgie, like he's talking to him and then like you just see him and he just stops talking because he's just staring at him. You know what I mean? It's yeah. almost like a, it's like a, you know, like a snake in the bushes or something like that, where it's just like it's staring at you getting ready for the attack. I just, I find that more disturbing than, you know, what Tim Curry did. I mean, let's be honest here. I think Tim Curry's best asset in that movie is his voice. You know what I mean? He's got that very Absolutely. Tim Curry voice. And mm-hmm. without that, you know, I don't think his performance would have been anything. But well, again, it, though, his voice is part of him. It's Tim Curry doing a voice that's not his. He's doing that Jersey Shore kind of thing, you know, kind of voice. Which is so, if you see him and hear him and other things, you're like, that came out of that guy's mouth? And it's not what you expect to come out of the thing's mouth. The difference here is that it, Pennywise, talks like I would expect that clown to sound. You know, like it it matches it, even though it is off-putting and weird. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the thing about this movie is that it it, instead of being... I don't know, terrifying. I think it thrives on being just really weird and just <laughs> making you feel really icky all the time. I mean, the subtext and again, the language of some of the kids and some of, the, some of this other stuff just makes you feel like, eh. like let's talk about Eddie's home life. Like instead of again, being from, um, 
you know, the, uh, the well to do, the well to do family. Thank you. And, you know, the, and being a hypochondriac because of that his mom is like this lazy white trash, you know, fat woman who's sitting around eating bonbons all day. And she over medicates her kid because she's obsessed. Jay, I've, I've seen this. I've yeah. seen this and I, I know my dad listens to this podcast. So, um, I, he probably won't be too mad about this, but uh, one of my aunts, um, this was her, um, just heavily overweight and just, you know, she had one son just like Eddie. And this was kind of what it was where it was just overbearing. This is my, you know, almost my property, everything, but this is the only, cause I'm so fat. I mean, I'm not trying to be an asshole here, but because she's so physically unattractive, that's the only person she has. You know what I mean? She has no hope of being able to find a mate. So she puts all that love and attention, fear and everything on that kid. And that's what she's scared about is she's scared about losing that for herself, for herself. I, you said a word there that I think says it all property. She treats him like that's her property. Right? Oh yeah, totally. I totally, I could totally yeah. just, you know, give you a, give you a background on probably what else she was probably married and she had Eddie and you know, she ended up you know, gaining a lot of weight. The husband probably left her and she's terrified of losing Eddie. Now it's like, that's all I have left. I can't lose him. And that's exactly how she comes off. And, but I do love the little touch though, too. (laughs) She's driving a gremlin. That that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. That, that, that woman would drive that car. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, um, again, I feel like he kind of gets shoved to the side. He gets a couple of good lines. The kid does. And he, again, he looks like, uh, Fred Savage, so I, I kind of get a kick out of that. But but he lo- totally looks like a kid though from the eighties with that haircut. You know oh, what I mean? Completely. Look, like, hey man, I I grew up in the eighties. In the nineties, I had that haircut. <laughs> okay, you still do. So. <laughs> I mean, I wish I had that much hair still, man. <laughs> I was I'm not gonna lie, I was a little jealous. I wish I had that much hair still, but I don't. So anyway, but yeah, I I don't know. I, again, they they make choices with these kids to change them up, and that's why I say I. I wonder if this would work. And I kind of think it would work if you just took these kids. Because the, the thing that's different from this about, you know, I've talked how much about Stranger Things, you know, influences. The thing that's different is that there's two adults in Stranger Things that anchor that series major. All right. And and that's missing greatly from this series and or from this movie in particular. Like, you don't have David Harbour and Winona Ryder there. I think they anchor Stranger Things as much as anything. It's probably the best stuff Winona Ryder's ever done. I mean, to be honest. And she's done a lot of work, but it's a fantastic performance. And Harbor's great in it, too. There's no adults to anchor any of this. And because they're not going to do that, and there weren't really any in the book either, I get that. That's why I'm saying I don't know that this movie needed to carry the weight of this book and all the baggage that comes with it. Could they have... Uh, fashioned a story about an evil that cycles around and does some of the same stuff and not called it it. Uh, that's yeah, what I'm, call, I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. They called it Jeepers Creepers or Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> but, uh, oh, but, uh, wow. What, what a pull, by the way, talk about something that's icky and hard to discuss because of the people involved in making it. But anyway, but that's, but that's one thing too, is like what I think people need to remember about this movie is you want to be with the kids the entire time because this is their world. And Pennywise is only going after children. He's not going after adults and to bring in like that adult sense of responsibility 
is you're going to be watching the movie and kind of hoping that the adult like kind of intervenes or saves the days or pulls the kids out of the sewer, you know, almost like stranger things where he's, you know, spoiler alert, where he goes and rescues will, you know what I mean? But when it's just the kids, you're feeling the fear because they don't have anybody else there to save them. And then even on the flip side, you're seeing the adults, the pharmacist guy and everything like that, where it's like, yeah, the adults are pretty kind of screwed up here. So it makes even fear for these kids even more because not only do they have a vicious clown coming at them, they don't really have any type of solid foundation, you know, parental or adult foundation here to help them out. And that's one thing too, is like, you know, I, you know, guessing you know, they could have made Pennywise even more scary or something like that. But again, this is all in the mind of a child. You know, these, you know, they're 13, 12, they're still children. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like, you know, what they're trying to do here is just kind of showing you their world. But the, the thing is, though, like, yes, they are children. I, I agree with that statement. But they want they want them to be so much more adult than they really are. And Well, they're in that awkward age, though. You know, it's like I, I remember like my mom always used to say when I was that age. It's like, you know, you're too young for girls but too old for toys. You know what I mean? It's just uh-huh. that awkward age. I guess so. I just – I don't know. I guess I just never um, – I, there was something that I was disconnecting from because of the way this story is structured. And maybe it is the fact that I just keep bumping up against the what they've done to some of the characters that, frankly, I liked. And, and I wanted them to have a little bit more of a, a part in it. And I'm just, I'm just not liking the changes that they've made here. I mean, again, like this more or less works. I mean, it's, it's fine and it, it kind of works. But I... I don't know that it was necessary to be honest. Like I, again, there's nothing about this that just screams like, Oh yes, Stephen King's it, you know, like it just doesn't feel like it. Well, I think a lot of that has to do though with the uh, story and the other miniseries doing the recycling back and forth between the adults and the kids. So this is really, really a, a different take on the material here. But to me, I think that, you know, just the, the feelings that I got, you know, throughout the movie and just kind of the creepiness and everything like this on uh, it, it felt more true to the book's kind of atmosphere than the miniseries ever was. Really? In what way? Like specifically tell me, cause I'm, I'm not seeing that. The sense that there's a sense of dread throughout this entire movie. And the book had that too, especially the book had some great stuff in there. That's never going to be in these movies is they kind of did like these kind of, Every time you get like through a quarter of the book, they would take you back through the history of dairy and you would be able to kind of, you know, whether it was someone telling a story or just a, you know, a retelling of stuff that used to happen and what, and those I found were the most effective parts of the book because they set this kind of a dread where it was just like, Oh crap. You know, this thing is unstoppable. Every time it comes here, it just, it just destroys and it kills. It's, you know, brings on violence between people and I think this movie really relayed that well. It just felt like the town was sick. It just really felt like that throughout the entire movie. But see, I got that too because, I mean, they even talk about it and they really talk about it in the second part of that miniseries. But they talk about the fact that, like, you know, everybody turns a blind eye to the weird shit that happens in that town because they're infected by whatever it is, you know? See, in the, in the miniseries, it felt like they just couldn't see him. Where in this one, it felt like he was poisoning them. So you felt like like it was more active, like he was actually making them evil versus um, 
other I think it, areas. Not necessarily that he was making them evil, but just more of like, you know, he's like carbon monoxide in the air and everybody's sick off of it where his influence, his presence there is just making everybody just 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 a bad person everything's just bad that's the reason why the cop's such an asshole that's the reason why the librarian's such a shrew well, that's the, the reason the, but the why he's not really bad. a bad guy that's the thing like we shouldn't he, he's a he's an asshole i mean his son is a jerk and he calls him out on it that doesn't make him an asshole that makes him a, you know, why, a tough parent <laughs> but why? But why do you think his kid's a jerk, though? Well, his kid's a jerk because his kid's a little punk, and somebody needs to kick his ass, and so his dad does it for him. I mean, that's that. <laughs> I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna totally go Freudian on you, man. You know what? Maybe he acts like that because he used to get his ass kicked by his dad, and that's how he sits there now and does that. Is like, hey. My my dad's a tough guy and he beats the shit out of me and I'm going to be a tough guy and beat the shit out of everybody else. But he's uh, yeah. always got that. It's always that level of, you know, dominance over someone where he eventually wants to be, to be dominant over his dad, which he does at the end. But that's the reason why he's such a creep is because his dad is a, just as much of a creep as he is. It's just spreading the poison down the line. Okay. That, that, that's a nice psychoanalyzing of, of Henry Bowers. But I, I mean, I just took it as, I mean, look, I knew, kids that were the kids of, of you know, tough Dude, if, that, if, that, if that was, if that was my kid, I wouldn't grab a gun and shoot him by the feet in front of his friends. I'd pull him inside and say, you know what, guys, you go home. And I would freaking, you know, I'm not going to beat the shit out of him. I'm not that type of dad, but mm-hmm. it's just like, you know what? I'd have a talk with him and it's like, you know what? He ain't, you know what I mean? I'd there be discipline with no, it. I'm not but saying, I, but I think, I'm not uh, saying I, Henry Bauer's so, father was father of the year. Okay. Let's not, let me no, not. He's sitting sure. back there though. When the kids like are like, he's picking on those kids and he's sitting back there with his arms crossed and you can just tell he's just measuring his own dick because he's just like, <laughs> uh, huh yeah, because I, I'm the big cheese around here. And it's like, that's exactly what Bob, his kid would have became the next sheriff. If you know what I mean? If he didn't no. fall down that well, that, well, that, yeah, and let's talk about what happens to Henry Bowers in this. And I'm, you know, because that's a big thing is that in the book, he, you know, his friends get tapped out by it. And when they're down in the sewers, because they're, you know, they, they, he's basically been coerced to go down there and kill for it. But now he's wiped out everybody he knows. He gets down there and Mike basically tricks him into falling down a well and it like breaks him in half. And I'm like, well, I guess that's the end of him. I mean, what, that was, I, I was a little abrupt. Like I wasn't ready for Henry to just, you know, be out of the story. And my question, I was like, well, are they going to like bring him back and he's going to be mangled, but still threaten the next one? I don't know. Yeah. I think that was just, I, again, I don't think they knew that they were going to get a sequel out of it. So they wanted to close that thread on him. So, I mean, Oh yeah, but now they created the problem because he is still a problem for them as adults later on. He's one of the tools of it. So now they've they've created a hole that they're like, well, now we're gonna have to create a new villain, you know, for the to chase the the kids around as it's, adults. It's a it's a simple fix. He's a paraplegic. He's comatose. He's in a wheelchair. And when Pennywise comes and talks to him and like, hey. Hey, I need you again or whatever. Kind of sounded like Vince McMahon there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that did sound yeah. like Vince, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, all suddenly Henry Bowers is going to, yeah. <laughs> you know, all suddenly he's going to be able to walk. You know what I mean? That's what they're going to do in the next one. Okay. That's an interesting way to look at it. I hadn't thought about doing it that way, but that would, I guess that would work. So anyway, the, the point being is that. Well, they got, they got to, they got to pin the kids, um, all the kids deaths on somebody. And that's what Henry Bowers was. He was a, he's the fall guy. He was the scapegoat. Yeah. That's the other thing too, is I'm like, so th- I mean, and they, 
I don't know that they ever really explained it before, but they don't explain it at all. In this, like, the end of this is them doing the blood oath by the river, and then we're all off to Never Never Land. Like, we, you know, we get a line that Bev's going to live with her aunt in somewhere else and not there, so she's going to be gone. Her and Bill have this big kiss, and that's it. And then everybody kind of goes their separate ways. And I kind of took it as this is the point when they all stop being friends with each other now. Right? I mean, and I thought, well, that's weird because the way we were led to believe was that they remained friends until they all grew up and graduated high school. But I sort of felt like this, like next year when they go back to school, like these kids aren't going to be friends anymore. You know, they've had this traumatic thing and they're just done now. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of like almost standby me-ish where it's kind of like, uh, yeah, yeah, after that summer, you know, we all kind of went our separate ways and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't know, I keep on seeing like this saying on Facebook where people are always like, you know, the last time you hung out with your friends, you never knew it was going to be the last time you hung out with your friends or some crap like that. So I think it's kind of like it's going on that where, you know, what they are, you know, this was Pennywise brought them together. You know what I mean? It yeah, was, but he also tore them apart because this is this is the end of their time together, we're led to believe. Well, his demise, basically. You well, know, I mean, that's what I want to ask you. What do they do to him? Exactly, because I know they beat the crap out of him several times. I mean, Bev stabs him with a piece of wrought iron, and he gets beat with some baseball bats, and a lot of other. It's been like, a, it's always they, been a problem. What? It's always been a problem of this uh, of the material itself. I mean, you even oh, yeah. go back to the miniseries. Oh, what Eddie uses a inhaler on him, and his face starts melting. Well, no, but, and but wait a minute, but but I, I know I, I know that looks cheesy or whatever. But the the thought of that makes sense. Is that if you can manifest our fears on us, then we can manifest stuff that is just here for us to be whatever we want it to be. So we take these ordinary objects and we turn them into super weapons because screw you. If we're going to be in a world where we can just say it and it is, it's, it's kind of like the end of Nightmare on Helm Street. I can just wish you to not be there anymore and then it is. And I, I actually like that. That's a decent conceit. The it's end good of the, the second part is the part that sucks because that spider looks terrible and, and it's because they didn't know what to do they didn't have any money. You know, that's, that's that movie's problem. This one, it's like they beat the crap out of him and then like Bill like razzes him as he slinks down a hole. <laughs> like, screw you, you're going to go to bed hungry. I'm like, would you send him to bed without dinner? What the hell was that? Well, I mean, but in the miniseries, though, they never even explain that, though. You know what I mean? That, like, oh, we can manifest this thing or whatever. It's just all well, no, like, they, they I decide. I got, they decide because, again, based on their 50 sensibilities, like, let's get silver. Silver will kill it because it kills all the, you know, the, the werewolves and the vampires or whatever. And so them believing it makes it so. So they, you know, they, again, they hurl that, that, uh, they slingshot that stuff at him, hit him in the head, and then he, he, bursts into light and you know it's, it's a bad effect but the idea is right the idea is that we do something together we bond together we believe and then we put him down this time like all that happens is again they beat the crap out of him with a bunch of you know blunt instruments and then bill talks shit to him well it's 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 a prison shitting you know what i mean it's they got all these guys <laughs> going around him and they're just gonna just completely beat the crap out of him but it's really i mean it's but, but it's explained in here, though, too, is, like, he only gets his powers, it's just like Freddy, you know what I mean, where he gets his powers when people believe in him, you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's like Santa Claus, you know what I mean? He's You gotta believe it's in him for him to exist. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, like, Elf, you know what I mean? And the only okay. reason his sled flies is when people are sitting there and they believe in him and stuff like that. What we see here, though, is Pennywise and his power and everything like that is 
I guess kind of like Freddy where it's, it's only there when people fear him and when people start fearing him less or less, or they don't fear him at all as what these kids come to do, he loses all his powers. So that's what they end up doing is once he becomes weakened, it's just beat the hell out of him. You know what I mean? Just you're beating the hell out of him, even showing even more that you're not scared of him. But I think even like a bigger thing here is when he's holding bill hostage, he's got him aside and he's like, listen, you know, we're going to negotiate here and you guys leave me alone. I take bill and we'll call it square. You know, he doesn't say it like that, but right there showing if he had power at all, he wouldn't even negotiate. You know what I mean? He would just have gone and just picked off the kids one by one. And I like it better. I like it better than them just imagining these things work. I mean, hell, if these kids were smarter in the book, we know, Hey, you know, let's, let's grab a Nerf gun and also it's a bazooka. You know what I mean? It'll blow them apart. But here it's like, you know, they actually have to conquer their own fear. And by conquering what's inside of them, weakens him down to nothing. I, I see what you're saying or whatever, but I'll I'll tell you now, I don't like it as much as I, I like that original conceit and idea that they figure out the tr- this is all a mind trick. So we're going to turn the mind trick on this son of a bitch. And that's exactly what they do here. They, they do just prison shipping. They just beat the shit out of him in the yard. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. It just seemed like, huh, I don't know. It seemed, seemed a little overly unnecessary, but um, the he, problem does kinda, is, he does kind of weasel away. The problem is though, there's no, there's no good way to do it. And this is, you hit it. The problem is the source material doesn't give you a good way to vex this thing. There's never been a good answer because Stephen King cannot stick the damn landing from the triple, you know, Lutz jump or whatever that he tries every time. And there's no good way to end this. It's all this grand buildup and there's no good way to stop it. Well, and it's, it's like a lot of movies. I mean, God, you never thought I'd bring up this, but like, you look at like something like independence day where it's like, we're going to create this ultimate threat. And then it's like, well, crap, we got to find a way for them to beat it. And that's the problem here is where you got this being this macroverse being that's from another dimension and this and that. And it's like, really, I mean, how are a bunch of kids going to beat this thing? You know what I mean? You know, all reality, this thing should be able to just transform into a big giant Paul Bunyan statue and take an ax and cut him in half. You know what I mean? Kind right. of, you know, a little, little thing that happens in the book, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's one of the problems when you create such a fantastical villain that it's sometimes very hard to make their demise or their downfall believable. Yeah. And I mean, that's, again, that's, this problem is with the source material and it's the problem this movie has too, is it doesn't, you know, where do you end it? You know, how do you, I mean, you obviously end it with them confronting the thing in the sewers. And then after that, they, they go their separate ways, but I don't know. I, I just feel like, well, I don't, I don't know what's a better answer. I just didn't think that was all that interesting, honestly. Like I thought they, I don't know. I thought they could have done it better. I mean, that's just what I'm saying. Well, they could have went even further in the book and shown that there was a giant turtle and that this turtle was guiding them. No, and, see, that's the other know. thing. They didn't need to do that either. Yeah, that that's the other part of this where, again, I think Stephen King is tripping balls. And it's just got into some really weird alternate reality stuff. Like, that that kind of stuff, I'm like, no, nah, you need to leave that out of the movie. That's fine as a book conceit because it becomes interesting, that whole ritual to Chud thing or whatever. And I am glad they didn't try to do that because if you read that in the book and you try to imagine what that would even look like, on a, a screen, child orgy. It's uh, well, yeah, the 
they went away from that, thankfully, too. And wisely, because, again, those things didn't need to happen to advance the story. Stephen King goes overboard. And you know, we talked about that last time. And I didn't want that in this. But I just, I don't know. I, I felt like we got to the end here, and then it was just like, and we're done. You know, well, and, but the thing, but the same thing goes with Freddy though too. I mean, I know you're a big fan of those movies. How many times have they beat Freddy like that? Oh no, though, look, where it was like, I'll tell you now, they that, just beat the hell out the of him. The way that sometimes. first one ends is stupid. Okay, like yeah, I I hate the, I hate the ending of that first movie. Even though I gave that movie pretty much a pass and said it was definitely worth watching, that the ending of that is dumb. All right, it's so dumb, and there's no other way to say it. It's just dumb. But the rest of it is worth it. This for me though is I kept getting pulled out of it because I kept again I kept having this you know discussion in my own head of like did this need to be it this movie feels like it's burdened with we have to hit all these Stephen King things that we want to do but we're much more interested in just creating this new thing and the other thing and I'm going to say this now too the the other group in the miniseries those kids looked like they got along they there was a like a bond between them and from everything i've read all these kids really loved doing this and had a great time and good for them it didn't come across on the screen like i didn't get the friendships that the bonds of friendship that i saw in that tv 90 minute you know mini series thing before i i felt like a couple of these people maybe got on with each other and then the rest of them were just kind of there like and that's a fault of the movie for spending so much time on establishing them, them as kids and doing all the nostalgia callbacks and stuff, but never selling me that there was actual relationships between them. That's why I said at the end, it, it and you're right to call out Stand By Me, it definitely feels that way, but I don't feel like that's earned at all that they all walk away from each other because I didn't feel like they were that closely bonded to begin with. Well, I think the three of them were. I think, you know, Eddie, Richie, and Bill were. They came off to me as like, you know, and uh, Stanley. We really didn't bring them I mean, up much. I mean, but Stan, well, Stanley, just kind of, I mean, as he does in the other, in the other book and also in the he's book. Such he's, he's, he's such hates, a drip. He's such a drip. He hate. I mean, I love, he doesn't get the best line at the end, like, I hate all of you. Because <laughs> you know? I mean, all they do is make his life hell. So I understand. I'm with you, Stan. So get better yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah. But that's the whole thing is like, I, I believe that those four were, were friends and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of the point, though, because like Mike and Ben are kind of outsiders and so is Bev. You know what I mean? They did, you know, come into this group and stuff late. But, you know, to me, I felt the the four of those boys, I to me, it felt like they were friends. Okay, because I, I just, I, maybe in moments, but I don't know, there's parts of it that it just didn't work. But I, I mean, I think we've talked around it enough. It's time to get into final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for, as it's now known, It Chapter 1, Nick? <laughs> uh, I like this movie. I like this movie a lot. Um, it was one that I saw in theaters. Um, I thought it was a really fun theater experience, minus a couple assholes in front of me during the theater that were easily startled, and one of them fell out of his chair. Uh, <laughs> just annoying as all hell, especially when I'm sitting there next to my uh, 10-year-old, and he's just like looking, he's like, ah, I wasn't scared. Yeah, but wait, you know your I mean? ten-year-old grew up watching Alien, so come on. Like, yeah, no way Chase is not desensitized to all this violence now. Oh, it was it was funny though. It was like we were he had to go to the bathroom and you know, he's still ten, so I walk him to the restroom and stuff like that and wait for him outside. But like I, I'm waiting for him outside and like one of the uh, ladies there is just like, Hey, uh, how's he doing? And I'm like, He's fine. She goes, 
I don't, she goes, he had a big smile on his face when he was walking out. I'm like, yeah, I said, he likes, uh, he likes horror movies, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. But to me though, I mean, kind of like stranger things is, you know, the horror aspect there is secondary to me. It's all about just kind of watching the, uh, the kids talk to each other, rip on each other. I, I just find that stuff to be kind of the, you know, stuff I like, you know what I mean? I kind of like watching the relationships between them all and everything like that. The Pennywise stuff is good. I like the special effects in here. I think there are some really, really, you know, effective, creepy scenes. Um, the only down part is I think it just, it relies on jump scares just a little bit too much. And when they do the jump scares, I mean, they, they do the jump scares and they turn up the volume to 11. So no matter what, <laughs> you're going to be startled. But, uh, yeah, to me, it's it's a large popcorn. Um, I'm really interested to see what they do in Chapter 2. Um, I really hope they bring these kids back for Chapter 2. I know that it's going to be more of an adult one, but I think they could kind of do the flashback and flash forwards um, and you know at least give these kids a good you know, 20, 30 minutes of the next movie. I know that they are going to do flashbacks with them. They've talked about that already in the next one. I'll be real curious to see how they cast the adult analogs to these kids. I mean, I know who I have in my head, but, and I won't say any of it now, but I'm curious to see what, what they decide to do. Ultimately this movie, if I'm being completely honest about it, I, I just keep going back to the fact that I think they made some interesting choices and then they made some that were just unnecessary. Like it, it's almost like the Stephen King book in that way is that they, they went just a little too far with some of it and then didn't go far enough with other pieces of it. And I never got the camaraderie that I wanted the losers club to have. And I guess maybe the fact that they're trying to say is that that wouldn't have happened in the eighties. People didn't you know do like that or whatever. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, but I, I miss the, I don't want to say wholesomeness, but I guess wholesomeness of, of the way that those all, kind of worked together before i felt like they i don't know they they missed on some of the relationships with the kids and that was that was disappointing in some ways because i really thought they they had a good cast here and i think bill skarsgård is very very good as pennywise as it I, all of that works completely um but again they don't know how to stick the landing and it's not the worst thing I saw, you know, from last year. I mean, not even by far. It's it's pretty good. I mean, it's decent. You know, it's it's just not it's not completely satisfying. But it's enough that I I want to see part two. Like I'm hooked enough that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I, and I'll go see it in theaters too. Because even though my friend told me, hey, you don't need to see this in a theater. I kind of wish I had because I think it might have the experience might have been better. I, mean, I just watched it alone on my you know, tablet. And I was like, well, that's fine. But you know, it's not big a deal. And I watched it on a regular television the second time, but it was, you know, it's fine, but it could have been so much more. And to me, you know, I, I label a lot of things, medium popcorn when they frustrate me. And this movie ultimately just frustrates me because it could be so much better than it is, but it's just not, it's kind of like, you know, the band poison. I like that band a lot, okay? I mean, I make no bones about that. But I won't sit here and argue that they're the, one of the best 80s rock bands of all time because they're just not. They could have been, but they had no desire to be that great. They'll even tell you. We weren't interested in being great. We just wanted to be famous. And they were. And this movie is like, it It could have been great, but it just kind of, you know, cheaped out and did the, the safe thing or did the obvious thing. Or maybe it went too far at some distances. 
And that's why it frustrates the crap out of me. So I'm going to give it a medium popcorn, but it's not a bad medium, all right? It's it's like the good matinee. You got the good batch medium. And it's I'm, I'm intrigued enough that I want to come back to it and hope that maybe the second round they can get it right and it can work better. Because sometimes, you know, first chapter doesn't always work. I mean, Brian and I talked about this recently doing the Path to Redemption show with Angelus. It, it took that that first season like really 18 episodes to figure out what to do and how to do it. And then they, they took off like a shot. And everybody will tell you, the first season of Buffy is really uneven. There's maybe like four or five decent episodes out of the 11. You know, if even that many. It was really the second season when that thing took off like a rocket and it lasted for a couple of years. It's hard to get everything right out of the gate, especially with something that's going you know is going to be more than one part. And I know you say, oh, they didn't know they, you know, they were going to get a hit out of this or whatever. I, they, there was an audience for this. There's always been an audience for this. And so I think they knew once they got going with it, it this is going to work. We're going to have something with it. But they just didn't completely nail the the landing. So I hope they can stick the landing second time, but for this first round, it's going to be medium popcorn for me. Uh, so folks, thanks for joining us on another episode here of Filmstrip. We've kind of done the January jumble, I guess you'd say. I mean, we started out with In the Mouth of Madness, and then you and I did that grand Will Smith movie, Bright, and um, which was, you know, more could have been renamed Dim. And then we did this now. So this would be kind of fun. We're going to wrap up January. Kurt and I are going to go back to Stanley Kubrick. For 2001 A Space Odyssey, and now Nick, you're not on that show, but I'm going to give you a minute here to just give your brief thoughts on 2001, if you will, because I know you have some. Um, I've never seen it, so that's well, my review. That's, that's what I wanted you to say, is you had never seen it. I hope I can change that for you in the next year, so uh, to get you to devote a couple hours to that at least. But I, I, I just remember, like, you know, 2001 is like, I remember it's like Hal 9000 or something like that. I just remember the skit on The Simpsons where it was Pierce Brosnan <laughs> that was doing it. That's the only really thing I know about it. And apparently that's like a, actually only like a chunk of the movie. I guess there's like three parts to it or whatever. There's like a there's apes a and, more. you know, all this other junk going on there. So I, I don't know. There's a lot going on in that movie. It uh, seems like, you know, that movie's probably kind of best kept for – if I'm really sick on a Saturday and I'm taking a lot of codeine where I can just kind of like sit there and just kind of like phase out with it or something. There's, I don't know. Just there's one scene come, in particular where that would aid you, but otherwise I think you need to get, be kind of coherent to get all of it. But yeah, Kurt and I'll talk about that next time. I knew you hadn't seen it. So I wanted you to out yourself uh, here and thank you for doing so, uh, so uh, here, but God, that's okay. There's things that I haven't seen that, you know, people are like, oh, how can you not have seen that? I'm like, I, up until last, this December, I had never seen It's a Wonderful Life. I'll put myself out there. And now I have, and I'll never watch it again. I'll go ahead and tell you. I mean, I've seen Congo 12 times, but I've never seen 2001 once. <laughs> and we've reviewed one of those, and we'll do the next one later. But uh, anyway, and then, okay, I'm really excited about this. February, we're going to do something kind of bold. Ron has been after me to do this for years. And so we've decided to package this a little differently. We're going to do black exploitation movies, some of like the seminal ones from February. In in February, we're going to do Dolomite, Black Dynamite, which is more of a modern one. It's kind of a riff on it. We're going to do the original Shaft, the Richard Roundtree. Then we're going to throw in Black Panther just for the heck of it, because 
Why not? You know, it's, I mean, it's the, it's a large African-American cast. It's a big Marvel movie. And both of us have seen the trailers and are like, you know what? It actually looks pretty good. Let's go give it a shot. So those are going to be our, our February films. And then after that, we hadn't really planned that far ahead. There's all kinds of stuff in the, in the, uh, the works behind the scenes. Who knows what we'll come up with? I know you're wanting to do some gangster movies, Nick. We talked about doing some of those through the years. And I've been after you to try to do some Bond films. We won't do the whole 20, seven of them or how many ever there are but we've talked about a way to do that so who knows what's going to come up here on film strip and we're also we're planning some more crossovers we we, you know, we did a couple last year with the guys from the generation Y. we started this year with the folks from based on a true crime and so we we may have some more crossover episodes coming up along the way as well and you know kurt will be back with some fabish factor stuff throughout 2018 as well so again thanks for listening to the show folks if you like the show leave us a positive review on itunes it's my goal to try to get us to like 50 written reviews on itunes this show's been around for nearly nine years and we we're still like in the 20s please just write a couple lines show's really fun you know or something like that and if you don't like the show don't don't review us um, but if you love it please give us a positive review on itunes or google play or stitcher or wherever you listen to it and of course you can always find our episodes on those, so subscribe. Or if you want to, you can go to our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, and you'll find all of our podcast ventures, the Path to Redemption Angel show and the Art of Slaying Buffy shows that I mentioned before, all the past film strip shows. I mean, if things go right, Nick, we're going to pass 300 reviews this year. Um, for this uh, this series, isn't that crazy? So uh, yeah, that is crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to think about, it. but yeah, you go back. We've got a big back catalog, so uh, we dropped some of it here. I mean, we've done all the Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraisers. Oh yeah, I hear there's a new Hellraiser film coming out, Nick. I think we might have to revisit. Um, I series. saw there's a new Hellraiser uh, one too because the uh, trailer was uh, just recently released. So yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I saw that. It looks like it got maybe double the budget the last one did. So there's hope. So, yeah, uh, it looks like it's ready for a lifetime. So. <laughs> hey, man, lifetime movies have upgraded a lot. Did you see that two Corys one recently? Uh, that's another thing too. We might do some more lifetime here, folks. You you never know. So again, we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening to the show. And to, for next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. This has been Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.